Do you feel like your life is stuck in cruise control? Are you excited about your current future? Or is it just the one that you've come to accept? My guest today was an accountant in a big city at a big time firm. He lived in a great neighborhood. He could see his whole future ahead of him, and it did not excite him. He made a drastic change and overcame some serious anxiety. He figured out that preparation was the key to his success and talks about how he was able to do it. Welcome to the Socks and Soul podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Ditto. Thanks for joining us today. Let's go. Welcome in studio, my guest, Jason Monk. Jason, super excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, be in a podcast, my first time. We'll see how I do. You're going to do great. <laughs> and the reason I know you're going to do great is because you know how to talk to people. Okay. <laughs> I've always found conversations with you to be very easy and to be very uplifting. Okay. And so I'm excited for my audience to get to know you. I'm excited to hear more about your story. Okay. When I met you, when did you move to Spokane? It was six years ago, last month. Okay. Happy it anniversary. just hit six years. Yeah. Happy Spokaneversary. I still feel like I'm new to Spokane. Yeah. You know. Well, there's a lot of longtime people here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Multi-generational and everything. So this is what I remember about your story from six years ago when you told it. I was making a bunch of money in finance. I quit my job. I bought a little crappy house out in the country, and now I sell blinds for a living. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So if that doesn't fascinate you all out there listening in podcast land, I don't know what will. I think this is going to be a really exciting conversation. Why don't we start there? Tell us about sure. what you were doing, um, You know what wasn't working about it, what was working about it. I mean, walk yeah. us back a little so, bit. Okay, so a little bit of background. I studied accounting at BYU. I took a job in Washington, D.C. because that's uh, where I grew up. I was working for a, a firm doing uh, financial statement audits. I was auditing companies. That sounds so exciting. And these are, these are large companies, right? This is like, um, you know, I, you know, people flip houses. I was auditing giant private equity firms that were flipping like multi-billion dollar companies. Okay. Right. And I was looking at these deals. Um, I was working on large, large publicly traded companies. Um, I, I then moved over to mortgage finance. So I left that job and I started doing mortgage finance. What years are we talking about here? So, yeah. So I, this was probably like, um, Oh four that I started through about 2014. I spent Holy about cow. five years. So I spent 10 years doing it. And, uh, the first five years were, uh, with Ernst & Young doing financial statement audits. And then I moved to Fannie Mae. And, and I went to Fannie Mae just after the financial crisis. And they were at the center of it. Everything was like melting in the financial sector. Sure. And they said, hey, we need, we need good people. They, I thought it was actually a good fit for some of the things I wanted to do career-wise. I moved over there. And uh, I was working in mortgage finance. And I was doing things like... Um, my main job was working on the information that is released to the public, right? People are making major investment decisions based off of the information that gets issued to the public. Sure. So there's a lot of laws around 
what you can or cannot issue to the public, how mm-hmm. you provide that information to the public. So like I would get assigned certain areas like derivatives, like Fannie Mae was the largest purchaser of derivatives in the world and still is. Mm-hmm. And I was like working on their derivative disclosures and what kind of information do we issue to the public? Tell us, tell us in a snapshot what a derivative is. A derivative is a financial instrument whose value is derived from another financial instrument. So in other words, um, that sounds cyclical. It, 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 <laughs> it does. So let's say, let's say, um, you're Starbucks and you want to buy coffee in Brazil. Okay. Okay. The little farmer in Brazil that you're buying coffee from will not accept dollars because they're just a little farmer. They want, they want Brazilian reals. Okay. Right. So you're going to have a contract to purchase coffee in reals. Well, so that contract, the value of that contract, part of that value is derived from the currency exchange. Oh, I see. Right. Uh, okay. So as as currency rates fluctuate, the value of that contract fluctuates as well. Okay. So it's a finance. So the value of that contract varies due to some other factor. And that's as what a inflation deriv- in both countries goes, as the economies shift mm-hmm. in those two places, yeah. the value of that contract is also malleable that way. Yeah. Cool. So it's called a it's called an embedded derivative where you've got a contract that has a derivative component to okay. it. Right? A pure derivative would be like an interest rate swap, which might be a little bit I don't, I don't know if we want to get into it, but an interest rate swap is where I say I'm I'm going to pay you a fixed interest rate mm-hmm. based off of the current interest rate, and you're going to pay me a variable interest rate that's like the prime rate plus one percent. Okay, and as interest rates change, the value of our contract will change oh, because yeah. interest rates are now different. Sure, I'm paying I'm paying you fixed. You're paying me variable. Sure. And so um, I was working on just crazy, weird financial stuff like that. Did you did you always have a thing for numbers? When did you when did you kind of think, man, I really did you like this kind of work? Um, you know, growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I did my first year of college and mm-hmm. one of my missions, still not knowing what I wanted to do. Sure. And uh, on my mission, I was assigned to be in the office as the financial secretary. OK. And when I started <laughs> doing that, I thought. I, I don't, this is not for me, man. The guy I replaced, like he loved it, Mm -hmm. but for me, it was not, not for me at all. And, um, but I realized after a while, I realized that it was something I could do. Mm -hmm. And then I met uh, a a guy who um, was friends with my brother growing up and we met after the mission in the single adult ward. And um, he told me about accounting and he was doing accounting and he just kind of told me about it and told me why it was valuable and what you could do with the degree. Yeah. And so that's actually what, what sold me on like, okay, let's do this. And, and, and uh, BYU had a great accounting program. So I thought, okay, they got a great program. I know I can do it. And it has the opportunity to take me in the directions where I wanted to go because I was thinking kind of corporate America. BYU has one of the best undergrad accounting programs, doesn't it? Yeah, when I graduated, they were ranked third in the nation at the time. And am I remembering correctly, uh, because I'm also a BYU grad, did not graduate in accounting, but are they the ones that were doing a five-year and you also got your master's degree? Yeah, you could do that. Okay. You could do that. I decided not to because at the time... 
I actually did a report for one of my classes on whether or not to get a master's degree in accounting. And I even interviewed com- uh, some people at the company that I interned at. I interned, interned at the accounting firm where I eventually worked at. And um, all you basically didn't need a master degree, master's mm-hmm. degree. And the people that were starting at the same time as me with a master's degree, they were getting paid $3,000 more. <laughs> and and the, the partners even told me that that gap goes away after a couple of years. In other words, those master's degrees, they're going to get a smaller raise next year than I was going to get. And so eventually that $3,000 income gap would disappear. He said after three years, it's gone. You so, would think more accountants would have done the analysis that you did. <laughs> and I got I got flack for not doing a master's degree. Why wouldn't you just go that extra year? I'm like, it doesn't pay for itself. You're like, because I did this research paper while I was an undergrad and realized it's I'm gonna not make good money fi- I'm going to make $5,000. Right. If I if I do all this work extra years, I'm going to make sure. $5,000. Because of the firms at the time, all they cared about was if you could become a CPA. And I was able to become a CPA without it. I see. The people that came afterwards, most new people coming out with accounting degrees now have to get the master's because in order to meet the state requirements to become a CPA, they have to have it. I see. So anyway. Okay. So anyway, so I, so, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I was working in accounting, um, and Ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to be involved in business. In fact, my first business, my first business was in the fifth grade. Oh, this is going to be, <laughs> were you like selling suckers on the playground or? Totally. Yeah. So this was back before Home Depot and Lowe's when you still had the neighborhood, uh, when you still had the neighborhood hardware stores. Mm-hmm. And back then they sold candy mm-hmm. and they had, let's see, they had, you could get candy for a penny. And I sold that for three cents at lunch and you had candy for three cents. I sold it for five cents. And then the five cent candies I sold for like 12 cents because back then everybody had cash. There wasn't all this electronic payments for lunch. So lunch might cost a dollar thirty five and the kids got two dollars. So they always had change at, at, at lunch. So I literally yeah. I saved up like five dollars, which to me at the time was like so much money. <laughs> Got on my bike. I rode to the hardware store. I bought five dollars of candy. And I remember being so worried. What if I can't sell it? What if I what if I can't sell it? All this candy. What am I going to do with it? That's like every entrepreneur ever. <laughs> I know, isn't it? I know. <laughs> and I sold out like right away. I mean, I blew through that so quick. And I'm like and I started with five dollars. I'm like, I have twelve dollars now. I love it. And I thought it was like, I'm like, this is awesome. You're like, I hope nobody figures out what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but yeah, and I was selling candy. Like I, was a, I was a candy dealer. But eventually, eventually the school shut me down because um, kids were in class after lunch just eating candy. They were candy wrappers. <laughs> Where did you get the yeah. monk sold yeah, it to me? I got in so You're much like, trouble God, for that. Guys. I got in so much trouble for that. But that was, so I always wanted, I always loved the idea of like working for myself. Yeah. And, and so this was in the back of my mind the whole time. But you know, you know, the problem was in my early years and when I was coming out of college is I thought, I thought that I had to like invent FedEx or something. Sure. I thought I had to invent this big, huge thing and become yep. like this billionaire. I thought I had to come out with like the next Amazon or right. something, some juggernaut. I got to invent the perpetual battery or yeah. whatever. Yeah. In yep. my mind, that's what I thought. And so I was literally, and I was still kind of trying to come up with ideas. And I, and I still, I still come up with ideas all the time on like different products or, um, you know, 
for one reason or another, one product's not good, or maybe someone else has actually already thought of it first. Sure. And, but I'm always, and you know, and and even now, just because somebody thought about it first doesn't mean you can't do it better. Absolutely. I mean, there's people that are maybe they have a great product, but they don't know how to market it, or they don't have the right distribution, or well, they I just don't know how about, to make it. I just think about all of the premium things that have come out in the last couple yeah. of years, like the cooler. Mm-hmm. Or, or my favorite is hydro flask, right? Like, like <laughs> a water how, does, how does thermos <laughs> feel bottle. today? Well, you know, I mean, yeah. thermos is the one who kind of has been making totally the hydro did. flask they for totally years. Did. I mean, totally I had did. a thermos as a kid, you know, you know what? I just had an idea. And I was like, this is a thermos. It's just a pretty colored thermos. Yeah. <laughs> I had an idea. We can take hydro flask to the next level. We'll take, we'll combine hydro flask and thermos. We'll take a hydro flask and we'll put like Dukes of Hazard on it. We'll like brand it with yep. like Pixar characters. Like that's, the, that's the next step Absolutely. for that industry. <laughs> that's exactly right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I always, I always had that in the back of my mind of like, I want to, I want to do something. Um, Okay, can I, what are some of your best bad ideas? <laughs> I think you probably have a couple that are really uh, good. Let me, let me try to think of one. Sorry, um, that puts you on the spot. But I, you know, I'm guessing along the way that you're you're bouncing these off of McKinsey. And, and she's like, no, she's, just like, she's oh very, su- she's very supportive. She's like, <laughs> I guess if you think so, dear. <laughs> like. Because she sees the value too, and like, yeah, there might be a crackpot idea, but there also might be like a gem in there. So she's sure. very, she's very uh, understanding, but she also knows that I'm, I'm like my own worst enemy, right? If anybody's going to stop it because sure. they don't think it's going to work, it's going to be me. Actually, yeah. Yep. Um, let's see, what's a bad idea? You know, I don't remember the bad ones. Those are out of those are out of my mind. Uh, you know, one idea was. Some kind of thing for the back of a truck. You know, people put those truck gates on that have slatted. They're they're like a slotted gate. Yeah. And they they put it on there because all those slots, you get better gas mileage Mm -hmm. than having just a normal gate. Like, there's got to be some kind of way to combine that instead of having to remove your truck gate and put a slotted one in to actually just build the slots into like a regular truck gate. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, that one... The problem with that one is execution. How do you, once you come up with the design, how do you convince Ford to like put that on their truck? Right. Right. Like you depend way too much on them. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, but so there's, there's, there's been some idea. Another idea was, you know, how do you, how do you connect artists with people? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of not quite like Etsy, but, um, I'm always, I always got something kicking around. I love it. Okay, you, your brain works a lot like mine. I'm always, okay. I'm always kicking around weird the, the ideas. The gears are always turning, yeah. like, a, like a shark. They never sleep. They're always, always moving. They're it's, always going. It's the beautiful mind of an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little weird and a little dark. Yeah, always right. coming up with something. Okay, right. so, so back to your story. You, you're at Ernst and Young, gigantic financial firm. You're auditing billion dollar companies. Yeah, and at one point. Uh, finally, this thing is like, yeah. So I left Ernst Young. I was working at Fannie Mae, which is a billion dollar company. Yeah. I mean, when I was there, Fannie Mae, they broke the record for the most profit recorded by any company ever. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was huge. It was huge. Is that before or after the housing crash? So here's what happened in the housing crash. Fannie Mae actually recorded the most um, loss 
of any company ever. Wow. And because these were paper losses. Sure. These were losses on paper. It, they, they owned all of these securities that just totally declined in value. And then as the economy got better, those paper losses reversed. And so then they ended up having the most profit. Yeah. of any company ever. Sure. So in the end, it ended up being kind of a wash, but it was like staggering numbers. Like when I was there, mm. there was an accounting rule that changed and we added $3 trillion <laughs> of assets to their balance sheet that were all like recorded off of their books that because of this accounting change, like we had to add them back onto the book. So I was, so it was complicated stuff. But anyway, so I'm working there in the back of my mind. I've always wanted to do something, be entrepreneurial Never really like had quite the idea that I felt like great about. And um, the other thing is, you know, my wife is from Spokane. She went to Freeman High and we always she always wanted to move, move back here and live here. And I thought, yeah, I'd like to move there, too. But every time I looked at an accounting job in Spokane, I was like, you make a third of what you're making in D.C. Yeah. And I would be and the work itself, I would be bored in six months. Sure. So and and for me, it was more that like, yeah, it's less money. But like if you're telling me that this has got to be my job for the next like 30 years, like no, like no thanks. Sure. No thanks. Yeah. There just wasn't anything at the time that that I was really in love with. So then um, I um, basically I met someone that became a mentor to me. And that is where everything like shifted. OK, so let me tell you about this guy. He is old enough to be my grandfather. He grew up the children of a chicken farmer. Um, he, he had some great people in his life that mentored him. And he started, he started business. His first business was like a Chevy dealership. At, at his height, he, he owned or was involved in 20 businesses at the same time. Oh, my word. And he retired at the ripe old age of 35. Which was which was my age at the time. Wow. Right. This guy, He retired at the age of 35 and he basically had spent the last 40 years serving missions for the church with his wife. Oh, my gosh. And that was that was his life. So he started a, uh, at a local call at a college. He was asked to start an entrepreneurial entrepreneurship program where he was helping young people that were getting their degrees and then going back to countries like the Philippines and they have this degree and they don't, they don't have a job. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea was that, Hey, these people going back to these countries where there's no work, have some entrepreneurial education and they can, they can start a business, right? They can create jobs. He did that. He, um, he worked at uh, Franklin Covey and he did anywhere. And before that, the daytimers, like, cause these were people that he knew he did all these things. And, and then he created this course called Launching Leaders, where he called it the Mormon MBA. Mm -hmm. And it was a series of courses that you would just go to in the evening. And um, it was like eight weeks. And he, so he, now he was serving a mission in the area where I lived. And he was going to do this Launching Leaders course. So that's why he was in the D.C. area. He was serving a mission for the church. And, and his mission was to teach entrepreneurism uh, among other things cool. but yes yeah, so he was teaching this course about, about entrepreneurship and it, there were a lot of other things and the course covered not just how to start it it wasn't really so much about how to start a business but just kind of how to live your life and be successful um in your life and you know he has his, he had his formula for success and some of the other things um and so um 
he really like put a fire under me and just kind of like awakened some things that were already inside of me. And then I started kind of meeting with him individually and said, I mean, he didn't offer it. I just said, this is what I want to do. Like, can I, will you just meet with me and just give me some advice? And so that was in the summertime. It was in like July. And I basically like threw down the gauntlet and I said, cause that, he was getting me charged up. I threw down the gauntlet. And I said, one year from today, we are moving to Spokane period. That was it. One year from today, we're gone. We're there. So, so what were these conversations like? Well, I mean, that's a huge well, And so that's the thing is when I, when I, when I did that, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just, I just in something in me just said, this is, I am doing this. If I want to do it, I have to commit. I mean, there was something about those conversations with this guy that motivated you to the point where you, you had enough confidence that you could say, I'm going to create a timeline and the conversations came after I was going to launching leaders. And then I threw down the gauntlet and said, this is what I'm going to do. I started working on it. And then as I was moving through the process of getting ready, that's when I said, I need to talk to this guy. Oh, okay. So I started talking to him. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. So, so, um, and I had no idea what I was going to do or what I, I just didn't know. And, um, it's funny because, you know, we've all had that experience where we wake up in the morning and we realize that there's like, there's like something important we forgot or something we have to do today. And we worry and like our heart kind of falls out of our chest for a moment. You're like, <gasps> yeah, right. That's how I felt the next morning. That morning when I woke up, that was the first, it was, it was like, like <gasps> what have I just done? What have I just what did done? I just commit what did to? I just do? Yeah, exactly. Control Z, control yeah, Z. Can, yeah. Can I undo <laughs> this? Can I undo this? But it's funny because, and, and the thing is, is that continued every day, every morning. That's how I felt. You had like butterflies in your stomach. You were a little bit nauseous. Yeah. Thinking about like how you were going to do it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's funny because, um, it, on the one hand, like it's scary, but on the other hand, it kind of shows the level of commitment that I had. Like I could have just said, well, I'm just not going to do it. This is scary. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, so committed to it that, in my mind, and it's funny because I didn't tell anybody else about this goal. I didn't even tell my wife initially. No way. I just said, so this, this is what we're doing. this wasn't even an out loud thing. No, this was just in my mind. Oh this my. is just something in my mind hmm. changed. And, and I was so committed to it that I wouldn't let myself back out of it, even though I was having these terrible feelings, <laughs> terrible feelings. <laughs> and it was like, and, and this was like this... You know, I've never considered myself a person that has like mental health struggles, although other people might think differently (laughs) about me. But but um, I have never considered myself to be somebody like that. And that was my first time where I thought, you know what, is is this what clinical anxiety is about? (laughs) I mean, I mean, I honestly started. It was that it was that strong. Yeah. That I was like, I think I think this might be so before. Before I could even figure out what I was going to do in Spokane, I had to figure out how to manage my fear and my anxiety. Sure. That was actually like, that became like one of the first steps. And I actually, and I actually learned things to do. So the, um, to manage it, like, like, um, so the first thing I learned was, um, I started consuming good content every morning I would read 
not just the scriptures, but I would read. And so like this book, if you don't mind, I can show you this book I got from the guy that was mentioned. He, it was a book he suggested. I love that you brought some show and tell items. Yeah. So this is called The Greatest Salesman by Og Mandino. It was written in like the 1960s. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't have that much to do with sales, but he, he weaves a very, um, a story that is not a very finite, not not a very defined story. It's specific, but the story itself is pretty short. But then he has these 10 scrolls. And the idea is that you're supposed to read these scrolls, each one of these scrolls, each scroll, like maybe every day for like a week and then go on and read the next scroll every day for a week. And and the idea is that this, you know, it trains your mind to like be positive, to be diligent, mm-hmm. to like have all of these like traits that you need to not just be successful at, at business, but just to be successful in your life. Sure. Right. And so, and so um, I didn't have much time, but I flipped through and I found like a couple of excerpts that are, I thought were kind of cool. If you don't. Oh, you gall, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. This is a, this is an amazing okay. process. <laughs> okay. So this one, first of all, each one's several pages long, but I'm just going to read like a paragraph out of this one. And this one is called, um, is about persistence. It says, I will persist. Until I succeed, I was not delivered unto this world in defeat, nor does failure course in my veins. I am not a sheep waiting to be prodded by my shepherd. I am a lion, and I refuse to talk, to walk, to sleep with the sheep. I will hear not those who weep and complain, for their disease is contagious. Let them join the sheep. The slaughterhouse of failure is not my destiny. I will persist until I succeed. Oh man, that's right? powerful. Is that powerful, oh, man? I mean, oh. the I mean, just reading just that little paragraph, I'm like getting fired up. Yeah, you know, the last sentence is awesome. The slaughterhouse of failure is not my destiny. Yes, like that is just so like yeah. Whatever obstacles you've got, you're just gonna have to punch them in the face. It's it's you know? this ongoing persistence in battle against fear and and your ability as dreamers to look fear in the face and say, I am not afraid of you. And I don't know how I'm going to win because you're big and ugly and hairy, (laughs) but but I am not going to allow you to defeat me. It's so empowering. And so, and so I would read these, I would read these like every morning. I think you'd read them every morning and every night for like a week. And I started doing that and I started, and that, that was something that, Help me feel better. Um, the other one, this one is called, um, okay, this one's a good one too. This And this just shows how different they can be. I am nature's greatest miracle. Since the beginning of time, never has there been another with my mind, my heart, my eyes, my ears, my hands, my hair, my mouth. None that came before me, none that live today, and none that come tomorrow can walk and talk and move and think exactly like me. All men are my brothers, yet I am different from each. I am a unique creature. I am nature's greatest miracle. Right? I love that. Can you imagine if everybody in this world treated everyone else like a great miracle? Right? It's like one of those truths that's like, it's in front of us all the time, and yet we forget it. Yeah. Right? And we forget it because it's there all the time. When in reality, if it's there all the time, we should we should know it more deeply. Absolutely. So... um, so that was one thing that I did. And I found um, the other thing I found was that Monday mornings, my anxiety was the greatest. Uh-huh. And I started to realize the reason why was because um, 
I would work, I would work hard on my preparations and doing my research and figuring out what I was going to do five days. Saturday, I was like doing stuff around the house. I was doing stuff with my wife and kids. Sunday, I was going to church, working on all my church responsibilities. So by the time Monday morning came around, I had gone two whole days of not working on this goal. And so you're like, no wonder I feel so all this anxiety on Monday. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't been working on it. I've been fasting. My mind has been fasting from yeah. this positive stuff. I've been pumping into it. Well, not the positive stuff, but actually working on my goal of figuring out what business I'm going to do. Gotcha. Okay. So I found that working, working on it gave me peace. Yeah, sure. And it brought, a, and, and, you know, I thought about that scripture, if you are prepared, you shall not fear, uh-huh. you know? And so, and so that, that was like, okay, I need to like, make sure I am always like working on this. Not all the time, but, but I'm, I'm like steadily and, you know, being persistent about it. And that, that really helped too. You know, it's funny about preparation. I just watched that movie Free Solo. Have you you seen that? Yes. The documentary. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's about a guy who um, he climbs, he does rock climbing without ropes and he decides to climb El Capitan, which is this enormous, enormous peak that nobody has ever climbed without ropes. And in the lead up to it, you know, they even... They even talk about some of the other free solo rock climbers and like they're all dead. Like none of them have lived past 45. Yeah, he talks about all his friends and he's and the, like, all my friends are dead. Yeah. Us free climbers. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't live very long. Yeah. So, so he, so he, um, he's working on it. He's practicing on El Capitan and he um, decides to make the attempt and he goes up maybe 400 feet and then he turns around. And he just doesn't do it. He, he, and he, he's like, I don't know, just something in me, just, it just didn't feel right. I didn't feel, it didn't, it just didn't feel right. So he turned around and went back down. And then the next thing he does is he just uber prepares. I mean, he's, he just went back to the mountain and he just practiced every step, every, I mean, you talk about, so his, his response to his fear, his feelings of unsureness was to go and just prepare even more. Yeah. He would just work on that, like that series of moves all day. And he had a notebook. He would write down yeah. the notebook that here, okay, you put, um, left hand on the rocky outcropping, turn your right heel here. Yep. I mean, and it was written like yep. extremely and he had detailed. names for all the holds and yep. which part of his fingers were yep. which parts of those rocks. And so, and so his answer to his unsureness was to prepare more. Yeah. And that's how he dealt with it. And so preparedness is definitely a way to deal with fear or anxiety is to just like prepare, prepare, prepare. And then then prepare some more. So you found that to be your case as well. If you're working on it and you're preparing for the future, that also eased your anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So that eased my anxiety. And then um, consuming positive content like all the time. Those were probably the two main things that stand out today is like what. And even now I still feel fear. I mean, that's the thing is I still. I am a worry wart. My wife is the happy go lucky one. She, she, not happy go lucky, but like she doesn't worry about things the way I worry about things. Like she, you yeah. know, and I can, I can, I can, I have, my wife is exactly the same. Yeah. She has, I always joke that she has this unnatural faith in my ability to succeed. <laughs> I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll that's like, what we love about them. You should worry about this more. And she's yeah. like, I don't have to, yeah. because if you go do it, yeah, I know right. I'm good. Cause like you said earlier, I'm my own worst critic already. Yeah. 
And, and, you know, remember too, my first job out of college was an auditor, which means my job was to try to figure out what could go wrong. Right. Right. That was my job. <laughs> right. What could go wrong and how do we figure out, figure that out? Sure. So, um, I love this idea of this is something that it reoccurs in this podcast is feeding your mind with, yeah, you know, you with, so, so for you. Uh, you know, you got this book, you got meditation and prayer. You mentioned scripture reading. Yeah. What other content were you consuming? What what else did that look like? Um, so I was reading those, any kind of book about self-improvement. Mm-hmm. Like I just read the five second rule. That's what I, I mean, I just finished that like a month ago, uh-huh. um, which I don't know if you've read that. I haven't. If, you know, if you want to get a little tidbit, she did a TED talk. So if you Google the five second rule, you can watch it. It's very interesting. Oh, oh this is the guy who says five, four, three, two, yeah, one. It's a and woman. Then go. Yeah, she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she I says, have heard this. You know, and, and so the idea behind the five second rule is that if you count backwards five, four, three, two, one, and then make some physical movement, that actually is a documented process in your mind that can get your mind to change gears. Yes. That if you're, if you are, let's say, um, let's say you're uh, addicted to TV. And you just love watching TV and you know that before Netflix brings on that next show, Mm -hmm. you should you should stop. But you just can't you just can't bring yourself to do it. Right. We've all whether it's that or whether it's, you know, scrolling Facebook, scrolling videos or YouTube or you're doing it. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking I shouldn't be doing this right now. But then you keep doing it. Yes. Right. You say five, four, three, two, one, and you do something physical and and that and that kind of helps your mind break that cycle. Yes. And um, it can be, hey, I'm laying in bed. I got to get up early to, to go exercise. Five, four, three, two, one, get out of bed. Yeah. You know, and and so I'm always trying to kind of find a book that is just going to be positive. Just something that is positive. That is it. like, yeah. you can do this. Here's some tools. Even just reading about other people's experiences is great. Um, but at the time, so I was reading those and then I was... Um, consuming content just about businesses. Like one idea I had was to invest in real estate. Um, so I was like reading books about that, about reading. Um, I had, you know, when I was looking into real estate, I had found, uh, another podcast about real estate investors. So I would download it to my phone. And when I was commuting into the city every day, I would listen to one podcast going in, listen to another podcast going out. If I had a phone call, the other thing is I was trying to become really efficient with my time. So if, if I was going to have a phone call with somebody about a business idea or something, I would schedule it on my commute and I'd be talking on the phone in my commute and I'd come home and I'd have dinner with my family and I might do a couple things and then I'd be sitting at the computer until midnight work, working on whatever research I was doing on whatever business idea. And in fact, when I was living in D.C., I actually did invest in real estate in Spokane. No kidding. <laughs> I did. I bought a house for I bought a house for sixteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. I found this house. I bought it for fifteen thousand dollars. I held on to it. For, I think I owned it for six weeks and I sold it for like $30,000 or All something. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. And to this day, I've still never driven by that house. I've never even been to it before. That is hilarious. <laughs> but, but that was one of the ideas during that year of my doing research. That was one of the things I had looked into. Um, and so and so about six months in, I, I decided to look at franchises because all the business ideas I had or that I was looking into, they were good and they had potential. But the biggest problem I had is, you know, 
I need something that's going to cash flow. Yeah. All these ideas, while they're great, they're not going to cash flow for a while. I need to, I need to, I need to feed my, I need to buy bread. Yeah. The young family. Yeah. yeah and exactly. you're going to move across the country. Exactly. And you did not want to live in your in-laws basement. No, no, <laughs> I did not. So, so I started looking at franchises and the last like really like five or six months was spent primarily on franchises. I had five different franchises that I identified and I was just calling, like I would call people who owned the franchises and I would ask them about their business. I was in, I was basically interviewing people all over the country. Sure. And I was taking notes. I think I still got the notebook where I have just all of these notes of when I called people and talked yeah. to them and like, how much money are you making? What are like the strategic advantages of your business? Yeah. And so, um, because a franchise can cash flow quickly. The franchise could be a job for me today. Right. And a, a, a true business later on where sure. like I'm not necessarily working into it. Of course. Which is, which is funny that, that this podcast is happening today because today I hired the last position that I was doing day to day. All right. She started today. Congratulations. So, so now all, all roles in my company actually have an employee that, that does them day to day. And I'm basically going to be like a filler. So now you can do the type three and four type tasks in your business exactly. versus the one and two. That's right. Daily well, yeah, operation I was stuff. doing, yeah. Yep. So my last type one and two task got hired. She oh. started her first day today. That's awesome. So that's a big deal. Congratulations. Um, yeah. I, it's, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> if, if she's still there in six months, congratulate me. Again. If, she, if she comes no. back tomorrow, yeah, you'll know. yeah, that's right. <laughs> she had to deal with that's you right. all day. That's right. So. She was with me all day. So no, I think she'll do great. If I didn't think she'd do great, she wouldn't be there. Yeah. But so I, I think she's going to be awesome. Um, so sorry. So, oh, so I look at franchises. Um, ultimately people think like, well, window coverings, like what in the world is the deal? Why did you sell window coverings? I did not. You're like blinds, yeah. really, man. I mean, it's a big step from selling candy. Let me sit, let me tell you that. That is true. <laughs> if you can sell candy to kids on the, you know, on the yeah. playground. Ultimately, it was the business model. All of these businesses, I was looking at the business model. What is this business of model, course. and what is right. it? Um, and with budget blinds, it really just has a. Um, it's got a secret sauce. I would I would ask these other franchises. What is it about your franchise that's so that's so special? And they would say, oh, it's this or it's that. And I would say, you know, for the fifty thousand dollars I would have to pay you, I think I could I could build that thing that you're saying is really unique. Right. And and with budget blinds, I felt like um, for what I was paying them, they were they were giving me something that I could not replicate. Yeah. And that's. And and it would cash flow quickly, mm-hmm. which it did. It did, and it would, um, and it would be something that I could grow myself out of. In other words, I could grow it enough that now I am not. It's a business. It. Yeah, you own the actually, business yeah. instead of owning your job. Exactly, because yeah. a lot of franchise owners. They're buying a job. Absolutely. They're buying a job. And I and I wanted and I was okay buying a job at first. Of course. But I didn't I wanted to grow it enough so that I didn't have a job. Right. I don't I don't want a job. Right. You got a water bottle yeah. to invent, man. Yeah. That's right. I gotta <laughs> uh, we gotta start we gotta start getting that Star Wars licensing up and running so we can put that on the exactly. hydro flasks. Yep, exactly. Um, so so that was ultimately why I chose to to do what I did. And it's funny because I went from it's funny because I thought I did not I did not realize how much the pride component would play into it. 
going from saying I'm a CPA in a city where everyone's like attorneys and finance people and kind of these corporate America jobs to saying I'm going to I'm going to sell blinds for a living. I, I, I can totally relate to that. You have the, you know, you say the name of the firm you work for. It's one of the largest in the country, yep. you know, and even though, you know, and, and undoubtedly you're getting paid well for what you're doing. There's certain status symbols associated with all this. And yeah. even if you say that you don't care about that stuff, there's still a certain sense of pride with what yeah. you have accomplished, if nothing else. Totally. Like I went to school, I got a degree from a great accounting yep. program. I have a great job. I have a beautiful yep. home. I have a great wife and family yeah. and I am providing yeah. for my family. Yep. And and I think that plays a huge role in what we choose to do as fathers totally. and men, as mothers, as yeah. providers. It matters to us. Yeah. It it totally does. And and I guess I didn't I didn't really go into as much on the change for the move, but but what happened too was you know, launching leaders and this guy who mentored me a little bit was really um it gave me the drive to pursue entrepreneurship. Until then, I was just looking at jobs in Spokane and saying there were no good jobs. Yes. But um, also at the time, you know, our family was growing and we start, I, I was looking at, I was looking at where we were. I mean, we lived, we lived in a nice part of town, but we were, we were in a $600,000 townhome with a yard that was like 20 feet square. Oh, and that was the poor part of the area that we lived in. That was like yeah. people who couldn't afford a house. You right. know? And um, the people there are great. We loved living there. But I felt like, too, that if I stayed, I already knew what the rest of my life was going to be. <laughs> I, I, already, I already knew that... I would probably stay at this company. I would continue to move up because I was doing well there and people were happy and it was a big company. And I had a, I had a great reputation. I thought, I thought people that worked in other departments stuff, I was well thought of and I could probably move around, but I just knew, I knew what that, I knew exactly what the rest of my life was going to be. And for some reason that just did not sit well. You didn't like that. I, I did not. I did not. And some people would. There are plenty of people that 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 accept that. That say, yeah. "Oh yeah, I'm going to be here forever. We're going to save up. We'll get um, maybe we'll get a bigger house down the street, and our kids are going to grow up here. And this is and this is what we're going to do." But for some reason, when I looked at that life, when I looked, I, I, I it felt like I was looking down a tunnel at the end of my life. Hmm. Honestly, yeah. And 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 I thought, I don't, I don't. I don't, I don't think that's what I want. This isn't my story. Yeah. This isn't how this thing is supposed to go. Yeah. Mine is more interesting than this. Yeah, that's I got, right. I, I'm, I'm the kid who sold candy <laughs> at recess on the playground. Yeah, I am not I supposed the candy to dealer. Sit, you know, and audit billion dollar companies the rest of my life and move up to the next position and have a bigger team. And then maybe. Cause that's what I was doing. Yeah. That was the path. Um, and yeah, I don't know why it just like, I just thought, oh, it's going to be, I, Maybe I thought it was boring. Maybe I, 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 st I still am processing it, but I, I think I just looked, I thought, oh man, that's what the next 30 years is going to be. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I want to do that. I don't. And we just wanted to, to live a different life. And my, my wife knew this a long time ago, but it kind of took this launching leaders and all these other things for me to figure out. I mean, our wives are always like three oh, steps ahead of totally us. Totally they are. Yep. Uh, and, um, and, and so, 
I decided to pursue it more fully. I mean, even my kids, when we moved here, were like, yeah, you're around a lot more. Oh, I mean, man. Like, when, when, a, when like a eight-year-old notices that you're around more like that matters. You did it, dad. You did yeah. it right. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. Well, and I remember, uh, I remember we, I remember when we first came to church and um, people were getting to know us and they would ask us like, Oh, so what, what brought you to Spokane? You got a new job. They always assumed that like, I got a job that brought me to Spokane. And I would say, no, we just, we just wanted to live here. And they'd kind of, do it almost like a double take in their mind. Like, wait, you just moved here. Cause you just wanted to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I quit my job. I spent a year researching business ideas. I researched five different franchises. I bought one and I did that because this is where we wanted to live. Now I sell blinds. And now I sell blinds. <laughs> I, that's what I remember. <laughs> that's yeah. And everyone, and, no, and everyone was like, what is, what? I mean, even now when people, like, when I tell people I sell works, yeah. man. Yeah, like you're supposed to move somewhere because of a job. You're supposed to be right. you're supposed to be beholden to your to your yeah. career. And uh, you know, so I mean, it's 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 kind of fun now. I, and nobody, you know, when people meet me and they're like, "Oh, you're the guy who sells blinds," you know, they don't know any of the background. I'm just the guy who sells blinds. Yeah. I'm just the dopey guy selling blinds. You know, like, that's fine. That's I, fine. You can, you can think that. I don't, I don't uh, care. I, I just think, I just think the whole movement on that is so cool. I think yeah. the part of your story that I probably like the best is, is the mental health training yeah. that you had to go through in order to uh, do a couple of things. One is function. Yeah. Just be able to, to process what, what was going to yeah. happen, but also your ability to, to leave behind that pride part of yeah. it and just say, I don't, I don't care what people think about me yeah. because really as an entrepreneur, especially at the beginning, you have to have a whole wad of, I don't care what people think yeah, totally. because it gets used up in a hurry. It does. And I was, I was really surprised how much it affected me. I was, I was very sheepish, sheepish about telling people what I was going to do, especially out there. Oh, I'm sure. And, and you know, and, and the people out there, they were all really great. There was, there was nobody that was like, Oh, you can't do it. You can't. There's there's nobody that said that to me. So I was actually really fortunate because some entrepreneurs really get they get like a lot of naysayers. Oh yeah. And I really I was sheepish, but I had like no no naysayers. There were no and at least not to my face, maybe behind my you back. You were your knows? biggest naysayer. Yeah, I I honestly, I honestly was. Did you I, ever think, oh, they're just being nice to me. They think I'm going to fail. <laughs> I wondered. I mean, I never really knew, but yeah. everyone to my base was all, was very like, okay, great. Well, you can, you can do it. Yeah. You can do whatever you want because I, I know you. And, yeah. And, and so that was actually really great. And, and in fact, uh, one guy I knew was like, he, he was actually really positive. He was like, yeah, when we lived in this other place, we knew someone who owned his own business and he did great. So I think you should do it. I think it's going to be awesome. He sold, he owned a business selling blinds too. And, you know, I remember when I left my first job out of college, which mm -hmm. was a great job with a great company. Yeah. And I announced that I was going to leave. I was going to move across the country, take a commission only sales job. <laughs> you know, it all sounded nuts on paper. And the gal, the gal that did our advertising and some of our sales training, she was, she was seasoned. She was older and wise. And she came into my office 
and I, I'd been getting some flack from, from some other departments, rightfully so. And she came in and, and she closed my office door and she sat down and I can't remember verbatim what she said, but I'll never forget what she said. She looked at me and she said, I'm so proud of you for yeah. making this step. And I was like, what do you mean, Elaine? What do you, her yeah. name was Elaine Conkle. She was the nicest woman in the world. But she was very smart and very frank. Yeah. And she said to me, she goes, every time I had the courage to leave a career or a job to go on to the next thing, yeah. it was always a step up. And you'll see this is going to be a step up yeah. for you. In and one way was, or the other. She was right in every way from Tuesday. Yeah. Not that it was an easy change to do. No. But it was, it was, it was so like it fueled so much of my desire yeah. to go and win it was really remarkable. You, you really like, you can't ever, you can't ever put your life in cruise control. You just, you just can't. You have to, you have to always be moving forward on something. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your career, right? I'm not saying that, you know, but in, in your life and in who you are as a person, maybe, maybe moving forward is, yeah, putting your career a little bit on hold so that you can move forward with your family, move forward with your church, or move forward with. But you have to like always. You can never. You can never stay in cruise control. Oh my gosh, that is so profound. Right? You can never. That is a spectacular way yeah. of looking at it. Yeah. You cannot put your life in cruise control. Yeah. What, so which part of your life are you currently developing? <laughs> what, what is it? What are you currently working? Is it your career? Is it your family? Is it your spiritual relationship? Oh, uh, every, everything. What is it, everything. And, that's, and sometimes I wonder if that's where I'm making a mistake is if I'm taking on too much. But, you know, you know um, well, OK, so let's talk about career. Right. So hiring another person. You know, you know, what's funny is when you start a business, right, you save up another another thing I didn't mention is during that year, a part of my goal for that year was like, we need to save up money. We need to have. Oh, enough. yeah. We need to have a war chest, baby. Yeah. My my goal was to have enough cash saved up that we could live one year with no income. Yeah. And that's what we did when we moved to Spokane. I could make no money for a year and still live. Yeah. Um, if this ba if this business just doesn't work yeah. out, I got twelve. Months I got twelve months to, to figure, figure it out, and I didn't need and it. And I, I have a degree degree in accounting. Yeah. I yeah. get hired anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I could. I, I mean, that, in the back of my mind, I was like, I could just go get a job. Plan B is really easy. Yeah, not that I ever want to go there. I I don't ever want to go there. But, but again, it goes that back to that prepared thing. Yeah, if I'm prepared and I've got this pile of money in my backpack, yep. I don't have anything to worry about. I can right. fully focus yeah. on the get goal before me. And, and even with all of that, I was still freaking out my first year. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I lost track of what we were. Um, I asked what which part of your life. Oh yeah, are you yeah, working yeah. On? Okay, so when you start a business, you're bas basically sinking a bunch of cash into something and a bunch of your time. And you don't know if it's going to pay off. And if it does pay off, it could be six months or a year uh -huh. for it to pay off. Right. So right now I just hired another person. I am sinking cash and I'm go I, I will make less money in the short term. Right. With the hope that in six months or a year, I'm doing better. Right. 
I'm doing better than I was before. Yep. So right now that whole cycle of like when my business started, like I'm kind of going through that cycle and like every time I hire someone, right. I'm kind of going through that mini cycle all over again where I make an investment with the risk that it might not work. And if it does work, it's still going to be six months before I see, yeah. before I see the benefit of it. And, and, and so, um, career, I mean, that's, she, her first day was today and we spent the whole day just talking about, you know, technology and how I use technology and how my, how my sales approaches and, and, um, things like that. And, and, and then, you know, I've got, so that's where I am career as far as I'm moving forward with my family, it's, it's kind of related, right? I'm hoping that having this extra person here will allow me to be more of a father, yeah, you know, to be a better father, um, and, um, also with church, right. As you know, I serve as a Bishop. Our church does not have a paid clergy. Mm-hmm. It's a lay ministry. Everybody volunteers. And my role is a role that is very time consuming. Yes, it is. And, you know, in that, you know, when I think about my role as a Bishop, there's all these administrative things. There's all these if I could, if I could just boil down one one thing for the people I serve at church, I would say I just want them to be loved. Yeah, especially you know, not right just, now, not just by me, but just for people to just for them to just be loved. Yeah, um, I mean, there's that breaks down into much more specific things, but at the highest degree, man, just have them be loved and to have a relationship with the Savior. Um. And there's the thing is, is there's always more that we can do. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of for me. That's kind of my next steps. We've got uh, just being being around for my family more, growing my business even more, making myself more obsolete in the business. Yeah. Not obsolete, but just unnecessary. You totally. know. Absolutely. Got, if you got great people and you've got great processes, then they can run themselves. And people is the hardest. People is so hard. Yep. Yep. So hard to find the right person. Absolutely. So that's my next, that's kind of how I'm trying to stay out of cruise control. I love that. I just love, so, I love that being kind of the, the crux, you know, of, of our, of our time here together is this idea of not putting your life on cruise control, yeah. continuing to advance. I, I was talking to a guy who teaches for a living a couple of years ago and, uh, And he started to tell me about all of his side hustles that he has. And he's got all kinds of them going on. And he said something to the effect (laughs) of, he's like, if I don't have a side hustle going on, I'm going crazy. He's Mm -hmm. like, this is, I have to have a certain amount of my brain working on this stuff all the time. And that was his, that was his way to stay out of cruise control because he teaches the same curriculum all the time and he loves teaching and he's really good at it. But the bottom line is it would, it would bore him to death. death. That's the only thing he was doing. Exactly. Because he was just like you, you know, I I imagine at some point he was just like you where he was like, man, I cannot sit here and do this and exclusively this. So he has all this, some of it's just total craziness, but in some of it is paid off in a, in a major way. Yeah. So, so, uh, I love, I love this. Okay. We need to get, we need to get to some sock talk here. Oh, sock talk. Okay. I brought so some good you, socks. You, again, you brought, for those that are watching or listening and not watching, Jason brought, he brought, he's wearing a pair of socks that he says has a story uh-huh. and yet you brought socks as well. Yeah. So, so give me your, okay. your, your, your sockology I'll, I'll here. I'll start. I did not understand how the sock part would work. So I, I figured 
I figured I would have more than enough sock talk. I came prepared. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna overdo it, <laughs> and I can my always talk over about, in five minutes. Yeah, seriously, yeah, at least we can talk about socks. I honestly thought, I'm like Kelly, I think I can give you like a good five minutes of material you can use. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so these first pair of socks are just. I'll describe them to people listening. They're white. They just say Medipeds on them. They look very, very boring on the they onset. They are very boring. And if you these look are your closely, classic white crew. Yeah, yeah but there's these a are a little bo- more than meets the eye. I okay, see. so there's this netting. So the side of it is woven a little bit looser, and there's this netting because these are like a medical sock. So from that, from that kind of the from the ankle, ankle up, up, it's kind of a meshy sort yeah. of see throughy type yeah. kind of material. So you can. So I, so I did have ankle surgery actually uh, about four months before we moved to Spokane. I had Ooh. ankle surgery. So oh. I had all that going on that year too. It was. It was unbelievable. Um, And so uh, the thing I love about these socks is that I can put like an ice pack in there to ice my. So that's why it's this loose mesh is so that you can put medical things in Ah. them so you can ice it down. So these socks belonged to my wife's Uncle David. Uncle David uh, had Down syndrome. Uh. And as you know, when uh, people with Down syndrome get older, they have lots of medical problems. Yes. And last year uh, he passed away. Mm. And when they were going through his things, somehow my wife came and said, here's, here's these socks from Uncle David. Oh, my gosh. And, they get, and so these are my Uncle David socks. I got maybe like two or three pairs. I love this. And so, um, and so, they're med- so these are basically the socks of – these are medical socks from an old man with Down syndrome. <laughs> But I think about Uncle David I when I wear it. When socks. you put them on, you know, you yeah. just feel happy. I channel his inner spirit. I love it. So, okay. so those are my Uncle David socks. I love socks. those socks. Okay, those pass my sock test. These socks are more interesting. These are cycling socks because when I was in D.C., I cycled a lot. And these are Bike MS. Yeah. Bike MS cycling socks. So they just kind of represent to me. Is Bike MS the brand? So Bike MS. So MS is multiple sclerosis. And Bike oh. MS is a charity that puts on bike rides. Ah, okay. For well, that's like a, it's got like a spinal cord woven through the logo oh i yeah yeah that, unless that's a tire yeah, track i think or maybe a tire track I, could be both one of each so okay. what so the way these bike rides work is they organize really awesome bike rides like if you're if you're really into cycling like they'll do a hundred mile bike ride and it's really well managed the tr- the course is awesome but in order to participate you have to raise money yeah for the charity cool I think the minimum at the time was $400. You had to raise four. If you couldn't raise $400, you couldn't ride. Okay. So you had all these guys like me that were into cycling that just <laughs> wanted to do the ride, but, um, but we had to raise money. And so, um, this, um, so every year you had these cyclists like me and my friends that were like, Oh man, I haven't raised $400 yet for bike amp, for the charity. Yet. What am I going to do? Am I going to have to pay it myself? Uh-huh. Which is totally lame. I mean, I look back now, that's totally, but you know, you talk about not going in cruise control and actually something in that book is w- w- they would set their goal. These guys, my friends would set their goal at $400 and then they would struggle to meet it. Uh huh. And, and I realized, like, why don't you make your goal a thousand dollars? That is, it's funny. That is exactly what I did. I changed my goal to a thousand dollars. I said, I'm going to do a thousand dollars. Brilliant. I'm not, I'm not doing any of this Mickey mousing around. Yep. If I do a number that's so big, I just won't care. It, the $400 won't matter. That's right. Cause I'm, I'm making my goal so much bigger than that. And you know, what's funny is I usually exceeded the thousand dollars. And so I got the socks. So this was my thing for my friends is I'd wear these socks. I'm like, See, I, this I is raise what more the money. Donors this wear is, right yeah, here. this is what the big donors wear. They get these <laughs> socks. And in fact, um, I was one of the one year I was one of the top 100 um, people to raise money for it. And so 
not only did I get the socks, but I actually got a T-shirt and the and the names of the top 100 donors were on the back of the oh, shirt. So my cool. name's on the shirt. I mean, I was like 99, but, you know, I was, you were on the shirt, <laughs> I, was, man. I was on the shirt. Somebody once said to me, they're like, listen, Kelly, it's better to shoot for the stars and drag your feet on the tops of the trees and to shoot for the tops of the trees and drag your feet in yeah. the mud. And in that's, I was about to say the same thing. Cause in that book, it says, says a similar thing. It says, I would, I would rather, rather aim my arrow at the sun and hit an eagle than aim my arrow at an eagle and hit a stone. Oh yeah. Totally. You know? Aim and, higher. Yeah. Aim higher. Cause then if you fail, you still yeah. did pretty good. Um, these socks are just some cool, interesting church socks. And I like to wear these at church. I have a couple other pairs that are colorful like this because then I get to, I, it's my kind of way of adding, making things a little more interesting at church. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we wear our suits and our ties and sometimes the ties can be fun, but the socks, you can, you can do a lot with the socks. Yeah. So those are kind of red, white. They got some colors oh, yeah. of blue. It's, well, they're, the pattern is Argyle. Checkered. They're, yeah, they're Ar- Argyle. Yeah. They're Argyle socks with a very bright red, white, and blue pattern. But they've got, they got a lot of color to them. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's more up my alley for sure. I like those. And then these work socks I've actually never worn. Are they something you give your employees? No. Um, uh, last year, uh, a man I go to church with passed away mm. unexpectedly. And I was just helping clean up the house. And somehow I ended up with a three pack of these socks. And the three pack just sits in my closet. And I look up there and I think about him. As a reminder I, of the good man that he was. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's all. That's all it is. I never, I don't know if I'll ever wear them, but yeah. They were his socks. They were, and the pack, it's just that they just sits in a brand new pack just on my shelf. I love it. I just look at them. That's awesome. So, that's great psychology. <laughs> okay, you, okay. You are by far the most prepared to talk about socks. Okay. Uh, that I've had. I forgot to tell Sandy Zimmerman that well, we were going to talk about socks. She probably wasn't even wearing any. She was super mad at me, <laughs> but she posted about them later. Oh, okay, I good. wore these. These are these are probably one of my favorite brands. These are Stance socks. They're just really, really comfortable. But I wore them because they, nice. they, they remind me of blinds. <laughs> oh, all the horizontal <laughs> lines. Have, if, all the horizontal yeah, lines. Yeah. Exactly. Tons of horizontal lines and there are a couple different colors. Um, but, but I, I brought, I brought you a pair of these. Oh, no way. So, uh, and I, when I saw these, I was like, Oh, that is so cool. These remind me of like a grandma's tapestry in her like no, I old love Victorian it. home. I love it. So, so they're blue and they've got kind of that, no these way. kind of cool old looking style to them. They're stance it's socks. almost like a, like a Rorschach. Yeah. pattern on it. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. Thank you. So, I love them. So those are my those are my gift to your socks sock collection there. There is so many things going on with these socks. Yeah. I don't there's lines and color. Oh. I, I, I feel like this is channeling like so many different things in here. I, you know, it could be uh, an analogy for our podcast and all the things we <laughs> yeah. talked about. Yeah. And when you put them on, you can just think about oh. staying out. I mean, if those don't scream, stay out of cruise control. Yeah, then that's I right. I don't know what does. That's right. And, uh, and so those are, those are my gift to you. And, 
And and thanks for thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. All well, these socks. Yeah, they're awesome. I mean, it was nice talking to you too, but these socks are It's probably worth your hour just <laughs> yeah. for those socks. Just for the socks. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you're worth, you know, what, what my you hourly per rate hour, is. But it's probably like, you know, I got I got those on sale. Uh, I, I can see you left the tag. I did. I left the five ninety nine. So I don't know what your hourly wage is, but it's probably around five ninety nine plus yeah, tax. Plus tax. So yeah. so yeah. <laughs> Jason Monk, where can we, where can we find you? What's your, what's, how do we find you? Oh boy. Um, so personally I'm on Facebook. I would say if you want to reach out to me and like maybe have a conversation about something, you know, I think that our personal relationships is so, so important. We don't give enough time to it. I mean, that's where, I mean, you saw several different cases where like major events in my life were triggered by me me talking to somebody. Yeah. Me just talking to somebody and having person and hearing them and having it resonate with me. So, you know, um, if I can do that for someone else, I'd be happy to. Um, and, um, so Facebook is just look for Jason Monk on Facebook. I'll put your I'll put your link in the in the show notes. Yeah, and if that's they fine. if they want to connect with you that way, they can. Yeah, you own the budget blinds in Spokane Valley and in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. No, I own the budget blinds in Spoke. I cover basically the Idaho border west oh, to like. Okay. So I cover the valley and I cover like the South Hill of Spokane. Okay, and there's another guy who does Coeur d'Alene. Okay, um, which we get along with great. He's a great guy too. Yeah. But yeah. So if you need window coverings, I don't know if this is really the right form, but totally. Absolutely. Coverings, but Jason you, sells window coverings. <laughs> if you need window coverings, he's your guy. You know, what's funny just driving here down the street, I saw two brand new homes that don't have anything in the windows. And I'm like, when I'm done, I'm going to go knock on the door and give them a card. There you go. I like it. That'd be great. Never stop. Absolutely. Um, well, um, I'm all, I'll also put in the show notes, the, the, the reference to the book, um, and any yeah. other books, you know, that, um, that you think would come to mind that should be on people's lists in terms of how to feed themselves, you know, good stuff mentally. Yeah. So I read that one. Um, another book that comes to mind just now that I read that was really good. is called the richest man in Babylon. I love that book. I mean, that is a, it's short, but it's so good. That book was given to me by Tim Cobb. Yeah. Who, who I had on a previous episode yeah. um, as a gift years ago. And uh, it's a great, it's, it's a, a great, great book. You know, it talks about, you know, I mean, it talks about a couple of things we didn't talk about, which is the value of one value of hard work, yep. but two, also the importance of like, you need to have, you need to be able to save up a little bit to get going. Yes. Like if you are constantly living hand to mouth, like yep. you're not, yep. you're not going to make it. You know, if you want, if you want a seat at the table, you got to bring some of your own chips. That's right. And and a wise steward. Yeah, exactly. Part of that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like you can't manage your own money, but you want me to give you money to to do a business. Like, no, thanks. Right. Dream on, buddy. Yeah. Mm Because I've had people, I've had people come to me with an idea or this or that. And I'm like, you don't have, you don't have two nickels to rub together. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Exactly. Like, Like, show me that you can save up a little bit of money and use your own resources wisely. And then I'll consider giving you some of my resources. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, That's a good one. No doubt. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. I hope you've been uplifted by this podcast. (laughs) I I feel like I learned such important lessons. I, I realized recently 
this last week recently that I feel like I'm putting on my own masterclass after, after talking, you know, after my podcast last week with Jethro Jones, where he talked about wanting to learn stuff. So he brought people into his podcast so that he could learn that stuff from them directly. (laughs) I really feel like there is great wisdom in that. So I hope you enjoyed this. Um, Jason, again, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was great. It was great to visit. It was great to just talk. You know, yeah. always have a good time talking with you. You're easy to talk to also. Thank you. You're a swell guy too. <laughs> I'll take that to the bank. <laughs> yeah. Thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Socks and Soul podcast. The Socks and Soul podcast is a production of Ditto Film Media. If you enjoy this content, be sure to give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Join the conversation on Facebook at Socks and Soul Podcast.